Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of West New York Brews of 2017. It is Saturday, January 7th, 2017, and this is episode 36. On this episode, I am going to be talking to Drew Harden from Community Beer Works. You've seen him around, right? Maybe you've seen him at other places. He's going to walk me through a simple sour, a kettle sour. I've never soured a beer before, but I'm making a Berliner Weiss for the first time, and Drew is going to walk me through it. So thank you so much to Drew for doing this. He completely nailed it. You'll hear it for yourself. Uh, please check out WNYBrews.com and the new videos, the Tuesday reviews at YouTube.com forward slash WNYBrews. Let's get right into the interview with Drew. I'm doing a few projects. Um, I'm working with the My City Brews guys, helping them develop their beer for Buffalo. Very long-term project, a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, but those guys are doing great things. Obviously, Buffalo is choosing the beer. So all the votes that they got in, everything that they're looking for, hopefully I can uh, help them out the best I can and uh, give them uh, kind of what they want. Other than that, I'm working on the uh, Sato Brew Pub downtown at the Dunn Building, uh, doing a little bit of consulting for them, getting their system together, a little bit of recipe development for them. And then just uh, the megalith that is Community Beer Works right now, their expansion plans for Jersey and 7th Street and uh, 3rd Street in Niagara Falls. Yeah. Along with our current production facility at 15 Lafayette, our satellite facility at Hydraulic Hearth, and then a little <laughs> dual proprietorship with Woodcock Brewing Company. See, surrounding everybody. I see the I see the long-term plan here. Yeah, it's it's the uh, the pincer defense. Right? So you surround from the outside and then just crush everything on the inside. You're doing sours at Community Beer Works. Um, right now I'm working with them for a lot of their barrel program. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of their real ale program right now. Obviously we don't want to get too far into sours, mm-hmm. uh, just because, uh, we want to keep our clean beer and some of our wild stuff, uh, very, very isolated. Obviously what we're going to be talking about today is a very simple kettle sour, which we've done a bunch with at CBW. It's isolating equipment. Uh, it's making sure that, uh, some of those nasty bugs that you don't want in all of your regular beers, uh, don't get there. So yeah, let me start there. Cause I'm terrified. Uh, well the, the biggest thing when you're dealing with stuff like that is if you're going to take the adventure into not like a simple sour beer, which we'll probably talk about today. Yeah. Uh, but when you get into the real wild stuff, uh, spontaneous fermentation, uh, long lactic uh, sour fermentation, uh, that's when you really need to worry about having separate equipment. Uh, if you're a home brewer, if you've been brewing for a long time, uh, or even a moderately long time, uh, if you're a little rough on your equipment, usually the best thing to do is to, when you start to decommission equipment, mm-hmm. uh, that's the best thing to do. So if you've got some old fermenters that you're not necessarily using or you use sparingly, um, designate those for your sour projects. Uh, same thing with any of your transfer hoses, any of your you know rack and cane, anything like that. If you're dealing with any of that real crazy, if you really want to get into that sour funk, you know, harvesting from your own bottles, um, you know, bringing anything out like that, that's where you really want to take that equipment and start to amass your separation between the stuff that you're using every week to yeah. the stuff that you're going to let and sit for a couple months and, and let it really mellow out. Right. But uh, if you uh, if you want to, we're, we're probably going to talk about today is a simple um, lactic kettle sour. Yeah. Uh, at that point, usually you don't have to worry about too much infection when it comes to your cold side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're doing pretty much all of your inoculation inside your kettle. Uh, none okay. of that bacteria is really leaving your kettle. And so at that point, you're sparing some of your other equipment down the line from possible, uh, if not viable, infection. So starting at the beginning then, I am, I'm going to be making a Berliner Weiss and, and have never attempted it before. 
so I'm going to mash as normal. Uh, you can. Uh, you can do a single infusion mash for something like that. Um, one of the biggest things that I got from uh, Robert, I told him I was doing a uh, Robert's Our Head Brewer at Community Beer Works. I told him I was going to do a, a podcast on Berliner. And I was like, well, what tips or tricks do you have? And he's like, well, you know how to do it. Uh, he's just like the one of the biggest things that he pays attention to is actually going to that BJCP uh-huh. uh, and sticking with the same grain bill, uh, sticking to something traditional because a lot of Berliners now are not necessarily what you'd think of Napoleon's troops saying it's the champagne of the north. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a completely different animal. People are adding fruit. They're adding different sorts of herbs. They're adding all these other things. Um, so when you're really looking at a Berliner, it's pretty simple grain bill. It's a lot of Pilsner, some wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously being a home brewer, that's what it's all about is having fun playing with it. So you can really kind of make it any way you want. Um, the sour element is really where, you know, what you're trying to achieve. You're trying to get a lower pH. Uh, you're trying to get that nice, uh, you know, well-rounded semi-balanced, simple sour, but something that's going to give you a lower pH uh, at a quick result that you can turn over in a couple weeks, just like you turn over your homebrew in a couple weeks. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to uh, bring the temperature down in the mash or no I'm I'm gonna mash and and collect the wort and then sour where am I souring this Okay so the the souring <laughs> the souring is actually happening uh, in your kettle in the uh, kettle and it's prior to your boil and I'm pitching pitching a strain of lacto I'm not yeah the, or the, am I Throwing in grains. What no, you- no. The, uh, okay. okay, so the, the big difference between a lot of that is is if you're going to do a simple lactic kettle sour, uh, you're going to get some lactobacillus culture, whether it be from uh, Omega, Y yeast, uh-huh. uh, your favorite yeast <clears throat> provider. Um, pretty much all of them have some sort of sample like that. Uh, you can harvest from anything like yogurt, uh, different probiotics. Right. Uh, just depends upon the strain and variety of uh, lactobacillus that you're really looking for. Uh, but most of that stuff, you can just get a very nice quality pitch. Uh, you can make a starter if, uh, if you prefer. Um, usually, depending upon the size of your batch, that's really where it becomes dependent. Uh, you can always mm-hmm. you know, grab two smack packs instead of one smack pack. Right. Um, but you want to get a nice, nice cultured uh, lactobacillus strain. Uh, lactobacillus planarium is one of my favorites uh, for homebrewers uh, because it's very uh, higher tolerant in temperature. Uh-huh. Um, and you're actually going to be inoculating pre-boil. So what you're going to do is you're going to mash, uh, you're going to collect your wort. Uh, At that point, you're going to bring it up to about 180, 185, uh, Mm -hmm. about 15, 20 minutes. You're basically looking for pasteurization. Okay. So anything else that happens to be in your collected wort post-mash, you basically want to homogenize that and and pasteurize it. So get it to right around 180, 185, usually about 15, 20 minutes will do you. Yeah. Um, And then after that, you're basically going to start a pre-chill. Okay. Uh, so you're going to chill back down. Uh, you're going to get down to roughly between uh, 85 to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Um, that's usually a good inoculation temperature. Uh, obviously, uh, it's strain dependent. So whoever you happen to go to, whether it be Y yeast, Omega, uh, you know, check their yeast notes. They will tell you um, just as if you've got USO5 or uh, 1137 from Y yeast, you know, they tell you what functionality uh, that yeast happens to have bacteria also has a very functional temperature. Uh-huh. Um, so you're basically going to collect your wort, pasteurize out to around 185, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, at that point, bring it down to your inoculation temperature. So your inoculation temperature is slightly above what you would do for a sack pitch. So obviously not 65 degrees Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. but you know, 85, 110. Uh, if you're a home brewer, usually you don't have a 
large amount of insulative equipment or yeah, something no. to maintain temperature. Uh, <laughs> so it's usually best to hit that high side. Uh-huh. Uh, so if your lactobacillus is tolerant to about 110 degrees, you know, mm-hmm. shoot for 105, uh, 107, uh, you know, right around that top end uh, because it's going to chill overnight uh, or uh, into the next day. Yeah. And you're, at that point, you're going to inoculate. So once you've got up to your pasteurization temperature, you chill down. Uh, obviously, that's one of the hardest parts for home brewers is waiting for, from it to go 210 degrees to 65 degrees. So yeah. when you get when you get around, <laughs> you know, uh, 115, 120, uh, wherever your uh, your uh, bacteria happens to like it to be nice and warm and happy, at that point you're going to inoculate. So you're going to add your lactobacillus strain, uh, get it in there, uh, and then basically cover. Okay. Uh, cover, keep it insulated. You're not going to want to oxygenate your wort. Uh, oxygen okay. is not good for those bacteria. Lay uh, a blanket of uh, CO2 uh, You can CO2. On it? Yep, yep. You can blanket with CO2. That's usually a very, very good option. Uh, the oxygen, the big difference is if you have a lot of oxygen, you'll get a lot of acetic acid. So you'll start to kind of create a vinegar. Okay. Um, so you, you want to make sure that you have a, a decent amount of CO2 or at least do not oxygenate your wort as you're chilling it down. It's kind of really, really weird. Uh, working with bacteria, you kind of have to relearn your microbial okay. your microbial flow chart, if you will, when you're dealing with Saccharomyces. Um, so blanket with CO2, uh, basically then cover. Uh, what I'll do uh, is either put the lid on and then cover the lid over with like a saran wrap or okay. a plastic wrap uh, just over the top, just so that way you're not getting any more oxygen permeation as much as you can. Uh, you're keeping everything in your insulating temperature, you know, at that point, you're not losing any sort of steam or anything out, out of your kettle because you want to keep it at a relatively stable temperature, just as you would for a sack fermentation. Okay. Um, and at that point you're going to inoculate. Uh, so you'll inoculate for roughly 24, 48 hours, uh, depending upon given conditions. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend, uh, on the cheap side, if you're a home brewer to go and get pH strips, uh-huh. Uh, they work like the chlorine pool strips that you get for your pool. You know, you dunk it in the solution or you put some solution on it. Uh, it changes to a certain color <laughs> depending upon the pH range. Um, and those work fairly well. Um, they obviously are only as good as as well as you can see color and as definitive as what green, blue, or blue-green happens to be. Right. Uh, but they can give you a good idea. So if you have a target pH that you're looking for, uh, you can deal with pHs anywhere from around 3 pH to 4.2, 4.5. I mean, your usual mash pH is usually around 5, 5.5, depending mm-hmm. upon the beer that you're making. Uh, so you're looking for a little bit lower than that. Uh, when we're brewing, we actually go for the smell test. Uh, not, okay. a lot, not a lot of home brewers are really kind of used to that. Yeah. Uh, but when you start making uh, kettle sour beers, you really become more accustomed to smelling that lactic acid. Right. Uh, kind of getting that funky, yogurty. Uh, I guess you'd say nice sweaty sock kind of smell, uh, acidic, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you know, your sweat is at lower in pH. So you kind of get that same aroma, uh, and you can get a lot from that. You can do a taste test if you want. You obviously sanitize a vessel, pull it out, give it a taste. Uh, if it tastes acidic, uh, usually pretty good. But, um, if you don't want to spend the money on pH strips, obviously pH meters, even if you're getting a very cheap one yeah. are not that cheap. Um, so if you want to keep a good eye on it, at least pick up those pH strips. Um, all right. You know, at least until you become accustomed to doing that. So once you have that, you'll inoculate for your uh, 24 or 48 hours until you get it within the desired pH range. Uh, and at that point it's boil, hop and roll as normal. Uh, okay. One thing I forgot to mention is that, uh, when you're collecting your wort, 
it, as long as you don't have any first word editions uh, of hops yeah. uh, or 60 minute stuff, you're not going to add any of that. Right. Uh, lactobacillus is not tolerant to alpha acids. Okay. Uh, usually anything over 15 IBUs uh, will start to inhibit bacterial growth. So that's that's one thing. So you do not want to uh, hop your collected wort uh, prior to inoculation. I, I wouldn't anyway for a Berliner Weiss. Right. I mean, you're but, usually uh, looking at something that's going to be, you know, between 12 and 15 IBUs at max. Some of them push up into the 20s. But, you know, you really don't want to go that way. And if you're going to add hops, you know, like I said, it's it's your homebrew. So people will take their own, you know, kind of spin on things and make hoppy ones. You know, uh, we have the uh, what uh, Wired 8 uh, Hippie Berliner, uh-huh. which is... Uh, a kettle sour as far as i know uh i don't know i haven't had it before uh we'll see uh but that is all dry hopped it's it's post hop that it's going to inhibit a lot of of that bacterial growth if it was added during the inoculation phase all right so then as normal and then cold side everything is normal because everything's been killed off in the boil exactly so that's that's what's that's what's making your regular kettle sour so easily and achievable as a home brewer is because the only thing that touches that bacteria is your kettle so once your inoculation process is done, you take the plastic wrap off, you test your pH, your pH is where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, sterilize and clean the crap out of your lid right. <laughs> because you're probably not going to boil with your lid on, nor you should. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once that's clean, everything else is in your kettle. You're going to boil and hop as normal. Okay. So at that point, you're killing any of that bacteria. Nothing hits any of your transfer hoses. If you're using a pump at home, nothing hits that yeah. uh, because you're actually going to hop and boil as you normally would. Uh, and then at that point, chill and add sack. All right. Any tips for keeping keeping the kettle up to temperature over the twenty four to forty eight hours? Just leave it on um, the stove. Yeah, I mean, check. it's your your basic homebrew workarounds for anything. So I yep. mean, you could wrap it in a yoga mat, uh, yeah. which people do for cold and warm temperature insulation. Um, you know, you can keep it on a very low, low, low temperature if your stove or range happens to do that. Right. Uh, I wouldn't recommend doing that overnight. You'd run a high risk yeah, not of, uh, of killing your bacteria. Uh, but just turn it off, keep it insulated as best you can. That's kind of where the lid and the plastic wrap comes in. Just to make right. sure that you're you're insulating as much heat as you possibly can. Uh, it will usually drop. Uh, I mean, most kettles, even in a pro brew setting, you know, even if they're steam jacketed, are not that precise that you can leave them on unless you're dealing with some gigantic computer controlled system. Right. Okay. And check it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you you will be checking your pH because that's really what you want to know where it happens to be. The BH will continue to drop. You're not getting a lot of uh, huge front-end fermentables off that. That's why you still need to boil it out, chill it back down, and pitch your sack in. You're just looking for a lot of that acidity. You're looking for the pH drop. So what, what yeast afterwards are we using to ferment it afterwards? Uh, that is your Saccharomyces of choice. Okay. Um, there's a few different varieties that kind of sit in there for Berliner Weiss. Uh, they do make some blends, which are actually mixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will sour, which are a little bit closer to the adverse of that. But uh, those are going to change then over time. They will change over time, and those are the things where you're actually inoculating your fermenters with bacteria gotcha. as well. Okay. So that's not isolating that lactobacillus culture strictly in your kettle. Yeah, you can't do that and then boil it off and then and then add and it then, right and back then, in. And then, yeah, and then <laughs> and then add it right back in. Yeah, because then at that uh, point you're you're going to be adding lactobacillus to your fermenters, your transfer hoses, you know, anything that you're your racking cane that you're moving from primary right. to secondary, uh, anything like that. Now I'm going to be kegging this. Um, any well, no, there shouldn't be any reason then because everything has been killed off that I should worry about 
I mean, it's stainless steel in the keg anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're just doing a basic, simple lactic uh, kettle sour, all of your lactobacillus should be dead by the time it leaves your kettle. Yeah. So you're using your kettle as a primary fermentation vessel, if you will, or an inoculation vessel, uh, strictly to culture that bacteria, drop your pH, and then at that point, it, you're hot side again. So you're boiling as you would. You're mm -hmm. killing everything off. You're adding hops if you want to. Uh, and then at that point, you're chilling it back down to sack pitch temperature, pitching sack as you would normally, and everything after a 60-minute boil, 90-minute boil, whatever you happen to be doing, yeah. should be well, well deceased. All right. Then, okay, last two questions then. Carbonation. Highly carbonated? Traditionally, yes. Uh, well, yeah, Taste well, we've got we've got uh, some Victory Blackboard Series Berliner Weiss. Um, this is actually moderately on the tart side. Uh, yep. Not overly acetic, um, but it does not really have a whole lot of carbonation. Uh, I like my Berliners to have a little bit more carbonation. I like to push between two eight three one. Okay. Uh, for my Berliners, uh, uh, two point eight three point one uh, barometric pressure, uh, which you look for, or if you've got a carb chart, yeah, uh, that'll tell you. Uh, I like going a little bit higher because the historical reference, as it always is, is the Champagne of the North. So when you think Champagne, right. you don't think you don't think flat. You don't think uh, you know stale, lifeless beer. You want some bubbles. You want some effervescence. Uh, I think if you're doing a low alcoholic beer like a Berliner, yeah, uh, and you want that pH to really kind of shine out, uh, and you want that Pilsner, a little bit of wheat malt to really come forward, uh, higher, higher carbonation is a lot more refreshing. It's a lot more palate cleansing. Uh, and it kind of gives you that tart pucker that you get with a little bit of that carbonic acid that, that makes it really worth it. All right. And last, syrup. Uh, that is Woodruff. completely up to you. Um, I've had good ones and bad ones. Um, source your syrup, as you would with yeah. any other ingredient. Um, I was actually out in Columbus, Ohio uh, at Actual Brewing Company. Uh, Fred Lee and those guys down there are making great, great beer. Um, they had just released their Berliner Weiss over the summer, uh, and they had a Woodruff and a raspberry syrup. Yeah. And they were phenomenal. Uh, I guess they made them both in-house, uh, as far as I was aware. At least that's what they told me. <laughs> right. I, I could be wrong. I had a lot of Berliner Weiss, be it low alcohol, but we did a few flights of those. And with anything, you know, syrup is syrup. Uh, you know, you can get your Loganberry Slurpee 7-Eleven syrup. Ooh, a Loganberry Berliner Weiss. <laughs> I, I do I'm not, not leaving that in. No one else not, take that one. I do not condone that <laughs> at all. Uh, but you know, syrups are syrups. So um, you can find you can make yourself a nice heavier, uh, heavier bricks, highly sugar concentrated, simple syrup yeah. in your house uh, that you can make an extract of. Uh, obviously, if you've ever made a pie filling, yeah, uh, where you're cooking down either peaches or cherries or something like that. Uh, you can always just strain that out, keep a very, very high, high sugar content syrup, uh, cook it down, refine a little bit. And, you know, if you need to water it down, make it a little more clean. Mm -hmm. um, that's my recommendation. Uh, but other than that, um, you can use any syrup you want. Yeah. All right. It was more show for fashion. Uh, Woodruff is traditional. Uh, yeah. For those who aren't familiar with Woodruff, it's uh, herbaceous, green, slightly bitter. Okay. Um, yeah, I've it, never had it, but I've seen it. Yeah, it, it, it gives you a little bit more of a bitterness, which uh, I think they're really going for because it's not a beer that you're going to really hop. Yeah. Uh, so it is still, it does still have a residual sweetness to it, uh, but it is a little bit more on that dark bitter green, 
uh, herbaceous style feel of uh, vegetation. <laughs> all right. Then that's all my questions. I'm I'm going to try it. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to save you some. And uh, Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone has any questions, uh, they can shoot me an email. Uh, obviously, this is very, very simple. Uh, you shoot me an email at drew at communitybeerworks.com. Uh, I am kind of a busy person. We kind of touched on that earlier. Yeah. Uh, so if I don't get your email right away, it's not because I hate you. Uh, it's because I'm kind of busy. <laughs> it's not and, not and, and, because and, yeah. you, hate them. you might hate them. I know that everyone is busy. That's that's the whole thing. Uh, so I will get back to you. Um, I will answer all the questions to the best of my knowledge and try to do as much as I can. Thank you once again to Drew and thank you for listening. We are hoping to do an episode every week this year. That's my goal. And to do a review video every week this year at youtube.com forward slash WNY Brews. Otherwise, you can connect with me at WNY Brews on Twitter, on Facebook.com forward slash WNY Brews, of course at YouTube.com forward slash WNY Brews, and I will see you at a local brewing event for sure. So this is the Rearview Ramblers once again with the Camp I Beer with Condolences taking us out, and I'll see you on episode 37. Because you